0: tempted to believe that goodness can be defeated. That is not the truth. And this story tells us the truth about goodness. It also, I think, tells us the truth about evil. And so that's our discussion today, the nature of evil in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And we'll look at it in two ways. One is internal struggle, especially with regard to the ring. Uh, Gandalf says, you know, it is altogether evil, this ring, and how people will carry it, relate to it, desire it, respond to its call, says a lot about what's going on inside of them, the internal struggle that all of us face on one level or another with evil. But it's also an external force to be confronted, to fight, to lay one's life down in uh, defense of what is good so that goodness would triumph over evil. So it's internal struggle and external force. As Christians, we have kind of been taught all along that this is the way it works in the prayer that christ taught his disciples he urged us to pray lead us not into temptation help us as we deal with the internal struggle with evil and also deliver us from it from the force of it from the weight of it from its power the external force of evil and so grounded in christian tradition tolkien obviously reflected those ideas in his story So let's look at some of the characters and how they dealt with it. In this way, looking at how evil can be tempting, it can also be corrupting, and it can be all-consuming, especially with regard to this ring. Isildur came in possession of the ring in the battle with Sauron, broke his sword, sliced off the ring, and took it. And he was begged by Lord Elrond to destroy the ring. They had opportunity right then and there to put an end to the power of this dark evil, But he couldn't do it. He wanted to possess it. He wanted to hold it for himself. He wanted to use it on behalf of his people. And maybe he fooled himself into thinking it was all a noble cause to possess this ring. But it was calling to him. And it used him. And when it was done with him, it betrayed him. And he lost the ring. And it's as if the ring is described as having almost a will of its own. It has volition. It has power. It makes choices. And in this case, the ring left Isildur to be taken up by another In this case, this ring sitting on the sandy bottom of the river is picked up one day by Deagle, and Deagle is a relative of Smeagol, the one who would eventually become known as Gollum, but Deagle picked it up first, and desiring it so greatly, it happened to be his birthday, Smeagol convinced himself and tried to convince Deagle that he deserved it as a gift, and he felt that so strongly that he was willing to choke the life out of Deagle, so that he might possess it for himself. And so, like Cain and Abel, this story has a terrible consequence. That great desire for power, the great call of the ring, urged Smeagol to become someone else so that he would possess his precious. This is what he called it. It was precious to him. It was something he held dear to him. In terms of how he ordered his loves and affections in this life, the ring held primary place. Nothing else could compete with it, and everything else was subordinated to it, even his love for his friend, Deagle. He was willing to murder to possess it, and it had its way with him. It corrupted him. It changed him. It transformed him. He even says that he lost and forgot the taste of bread. He was less who he used to be, and he even, he says, forgot his name. And throughout the story, he almost has a sort of split personality between who he used to be, Smeagol, and who he now is, Gollum. And Gollum desires the ring above all things. And it it urges him to do even those things that somehow, on some level, Smeagol might hesitate to do. Gollum does, all in search of the power of that one ring. But the ring abandoned Gollum in the dark caves where he dwelt for so long. And it was picked up once more, this time by hobbit, Bilbo Baggins. He picked it up and, in a matter of moments, tricked Sméagol, Gollum, into keeping it for himself, and he kept it for a long time, aged quite gracefully. One of the consequences of the ring is that whoever possesses it possesses unnatural long life. It says, and he was willing to give it up, but barely. He hesitated to give it up, but on his 111th birthday, he was going to give it to his nephew Frodo. But as it was time to give it up, he resisted, and it's described in the novel and portrayed quite poignantly in the film. There you are. Some of you will laugh at this moment. It's so maniacal, maybe a little absurd. But he becomes someone different when he desires the ring so absolutely. He's transformed in an instant into the most horrible version of Bilbo Baggins because he wants the ring so desperately. He eventually does give it up, though, hands it over to Frodo. But Frodo doesn't even know what to do with it, doesn't have much desire for it. In fact, when Gandalf comes asking for it, he forgot where he put it. And so here he takes the ring, he's not sure what to do with it, but he thinks, well, I'll just give it to Gandalf. But Gandalf doesn't want the ring, because you might think, well, if it really is a powerful evil, then give it to the most powerful good person you know. Makes sense. But Gandalf doesn't want the ring because he knows that this great evil is maybe even greater than Gandalf's own goodness. He resists it. Don't tempt me, Frodo, he says. Lead me not into temptation. It's a struggle that Gandalf isn't sure he can win, and so he rejects the ring. In fact, in the film, he just puts it in an envelope, puts it away, and doesn't want to touch it, doesn't want to physically touch the ring. And then he goes off to learn of its powers and realizes ultimately that it is the one ring that would rule all powerful rings and is so great an evil that no one should wield it later in the story, Frodo, again, it's been some time, but he hasn't yet been kind of taken over by the ring and its power. He's willing to give it up again when he meets with Galadriel, the most beautiful, powerful, good person he's ever met. And he thinks that maybe she should take it. But in this moment, Galadriel herself undergoes what she calls a test. And she says she's passed the test. But in this moment, she actually reflects on how she would become a terrible and powerful queen. And she Resists the ring because she knows what it would do to her and she knows she would not be herself anymore. Another one who would desire the ring is Boromir, a lord of Gondor. He thinks that if perhaps as a descendant of Isildur, he could bring the ring back to his own people. They could finally beat back the forces of evil and Sauron's armies. And maybe he could possess it once more like Isildur for his people. But he desires the ring, hesitates to hand it back over to Frodo when Frodo drops it upon the mountain slope. And later, he actually desires the ring enough to fight Frodo for it, thinks he deserves it. Sounds a lot like Smeagol fighting Deagle for it. He thinks he could make better use of it than Frodo would ever make use of it. Trouble is, Frodo escapes at this point, doesn't trust anyone anymore, and Boromir snaps out of it. Thankfully, the internal struggle is, for this moment, one and he becomes himself again realizes what he's done to frodo and lays his life down to defend the other hobbits that they might somehow escape the onslaught of orc and urkai and in this moment he dies a glorious death somehow recovers his honor before he passes but that leads frodo to be so distrusting even of his beloved friend aragorn who assures him that he would have gone with him to the very end if necessary But Frodo strikes off on his own, Sam joins him, and they meet up eventually with Faramir, Boromir's younger brother. The younger brother that never really got treated right by his father, the younger brother who sort of had something to prove, the younger brother who, if he were to take the ring back home to his father, Denethor, would maybe have proved his worth. He is tempted to take it back, to maybe make himself look better in the eyes of his father, but there's something about Faramir that is good and fair. He actually honors Frodo's quest and returns the ring to him that he might go and destroy it in Mount Doom. And Faramir sort of passes the test. He's one of the few, like our great and good Gandalf and Galadriel, they're able to resist the ring and not take it up, not claim it for themselves. Then in one key moment, another, like Faramir, Samwise. Sam Gamgee takes the ring for a moment when he thinks Frodo is dead. And when Frodo is alive and he saves him from the orcs, Sam is ready to give it back. But even as he's about to hand it over, Sam hesitates, even for just a moment, before he gives it back. Even good old Sam waited for just a moment before he returned the ring. It was that powerful. But because he could not carry the ring itself, Sam did the next best thing. He carried his master all the way to Mount Doom. This glorious depiction of, of dedication and friendship and loyalty... He's able to bear what he otherwise could not bear. And in this moment, you think, well, good old Frodo. Frodo's going to destroy the ring. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. He's been trusted all this time. But by this time, the ring has had its way with Frodo. There were times when he didn't even trust Sam anymore. It had corrupted his friendships. It had made him not trust other people, made him paranoid, made him selfish. It had gotten to the point where, when it was time to throw the ring into the fires of Mount Doom, Frodo himself hesitated and said instead the ring is mine and he put it on his own hand not realizing that Gollum was near months before there had been opportunities to deal with Gollum to destroy him, to kill him but Bilbo didn't do it Frodo wouldn't have it and Gollum survived for just this one moment because as Tolkien tells the story even good Frodo was not good enough to resist this great and evil and as it turns out this tragic story turns happy because of the tragedy of the corrupting power of the ring on Gollum, who takes it from Frodo by biting his finger off and stealing the ring back. And in that moment, Gollum takes the ring all the way down to the fires of Mount Doom. Disappears and is himself, along with the ring, annihilated. This is what happens to evil. It will be eventually annihilated at the end of all things. And in this moment here, we see from Tolkien a glimpse of what else evil is like. It can be poisonous. It can be self-destructive because the ring's power over Gollum meant the end of the ring. It had such power over a creature that that creature helped destroy the ring in the end. And eventually, evil will be nothing. One character who is poisoned by evil is Saruman, he was once of the order of Gandalf. He he should have been, could have been a great leader for goodness and greatness. But instead, because he'd been corrupted by Sauron's power, and using this orb, the Palantir, to communicate with Sauron, or for Sauron to communicate with him, he was corrupted in his heart and changed and turned to what you might say is the dark side. Saruman controlled other people, caused forces to be built and to be Manufactured, the orc and urukai were made by him to be his armies and to serve him absolutely. And he even has Grima Wormtongue do his bidding. And for a while, his main course of action is to corrupt the kingdom of Rohan and to have King Theoden corrupted by Wormtongue, who whispers untruths into the corrupted mind of the king. You see, he's not even himself anymore. And it takes Gandalf the White to come and cleanse him, to deliver him of this possession, to exercise the power of Siremon from him, and to draw him out like poison. From a wound, and so the king is made whole once more. Evil had corrupted him, evil had changed him, but goodness had freed him from that. It turns out that Saruman has a disastrous end. Once more, his control over, over other people meant the end for him. He had so despised Grima Wormtongue that eventually Grima strikes back. In the novel, he stabs in him the, in the back, in the film, he stabs him, and then he is eventually falling to his death. In the film, it's a very bodily death that Sarman suffers. But in the book, it's different. In Tolkien's story, it's not that kind of destruction. About the body of Sarman, a gray mist gathered, and rising slowly to a great height like smoke from a fire. Keep that in mind when we get to sarman Smoke from a fire as a pale, shrouded figure. It loomed over the hill. For a moment, it wavered looking to the west, but out of the west came a cold wind, and it bent away, and with a sigh, dissolved into nothing. Frodo looked down at the body with pity and horror, for as he looked, it seemed that long years of death were suddenly revealed in it, and it shrank, and the shriveled face became rags of skin upon a hideous skull. Saramon's own body just kind of collapsed upon itself. Remember this also when we get to the witch king of Agmar. This is how people who have been taken over by evil are destroyed. This is what happens to them in the end. They vanish into nothing. And so we have this one moment when the ring wraiths, and especially the witch king of Agmar, comes upon Frodo on Weathertop, has just enough substance to be seen by Frodo when Frodo is wearing the ring, and just enough substance, substance to stab Frodo near the heart and almost kill him. Fortunately, he also has enough substance to be stabbed in the face by Eowyn, who is no man. It was said that no man could kill him, and so Eowyn did it. And as she stabs him, his whole body contorts and collapses, much like the fall of Saruman. And he becomes, like Saruman, nothing. Here's the description in the book. The sword broke, sparkling into many shards. The crown rolled away with a clang. Keep that also in mind, the idea of a crown falling. Eowyn fell forward upon her fallen foe, but lo, the mantle and hauberk were empty, shapeless. They lay now on the ground, torn and tumbled, and a cry went up into the shuddering air and faded to a shrill wailing, passing with the wind, a voice bodiless and thin that died and was swallowed up and was never heard again in that age of this world. Tolkien keeps depicting evil as being so great and terrible and fearsome and awful until it's confronted, until it's defeated, and then its defeat is to be vanished into nothing, to be annihilated from this world. Another character who is corrupted by evil is Lord Denethor. He's the steward of Gondor. He's not really a king, but he's Boromir and Faramir's father, and he should be ruling justly, but he's been corrupted. And like Saruman, he had one of those orbs, a palantir, with which he communicated with Sauron. And he had seen many things, but also been changed in many ways, so much so that he didn't even love his son Faramir. And when Faramir returns from the battle that he had sent him into, sent him to his death, Faramir is brought back, and he's almost dead, but he's not dead. But corrupted as he is, Denethor can't see it. He believes that Faramir has passed, and he arranges for himself and for Faramir a pyre on which he would have himself burned along with Faramir. Seeing that Faramir is about to be murdered, by the crazy Denethor, it is Gandalf and it is Pippin who go and rescue him, goes up onto the pile, frees Faramir, but Denethor dies upon the pyre, just like we'll read of Fire and Smoke. Denethor leaped upon the table. Standing there, wreathed in fire and smoke, he took up the staff of the stewardship that lay at his feet and broke it on his knee. Casting the pieces into the blaze, he bowed and laid himself on the table, clasping the palantir with both hands upon his breast. And so as he dies, he holds that instrument of evil in his last moments of life. And then Denethor gave a great cry and afterwards spoke no more, nor was ever seen again by mortal men. And so over and over... Evil is destroyed and then becomes nothing. And we don't hear about it anymore. It is dealt with absolutely. And here in this moment with the fall of Sauron, his tower falls, the eye is annihilated, and the effect is great. All of his forces fall, and there is a remnant preserved. And as it's described in the text as we read yesterday, the captains gaze south to the land of Mordor. It seemed to them that black against the pall of cloud was a huge shape of shadow, Impenetrable, lightning-crowned, filling all the sky. Enormous, it reared above the world and stretched out towards them a vast, threatening hand, terrible but impotent, for even as it leaned over them, a great wind took it, and it was all blown away and passed, and then a hush fell. Once more, wind. Once more, something that seemed so awful, so powerful, so imposing, so impossible to defeat or destroy, finally gets destroyed. Almost by itself, Sauron's power convinced Gollum to do whatever it took to take it, convinced Frodo to fight him over it, and in the fray, Gollum falls into the fires of Mount Doom. It is destroyed almost by its own doing, and it will be its own destruction, its own annihilation. This is how evil functions. It is an internal struggle, and through that struggle, it sure is helpful to have friends like Gandalf friends like Sam. But we cannot take for granted, we cannot ignore, we cannot pretend that evil does not have its way with us at times, that it doesn't change us, that it doesn't change even our affections and what we value and what we treasure and what we will be willing to fight for. But it's also an external force that must be confronted, can be confronted, can be defeated by man and woman and all who would claim that goodness will not die this day, not with me, not here, not now. And in the end, the shadow is only a passing thing. And like a wind that blows it away, like a shadow that is defeated by the sunlight that shines upon the earth, that evil will not last forever. It will be annihilated. And Tolkien's story reminds us of that deep fundamental truth that we hold to. As the carnival continues, we hope you enjoy all of it. and We hope you have a great day. You are dismissed.